0: You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Timothy, we're calling Resolute. With this week's message, here's senior pastor, Lance Bourgeois. Somewhere around my college years, I got introduced to listening to Paul Harvey. Some of you in this room have a fond memory of Paul Harvey. Uh, some of you have no idea who Paul is. Paul was a guy that had a 57-year career in media, and so he, was, he wrote and, uh, and he was on broadcast on radio. I mean, extensively enough, he's in 400 newspapers at the time. He's, in six, uh, he's on 1,600 radio stations. I mean, every week, 24 million people we're hearing from Paul Harvey. If you know any of Paul Harvey's, one of the things he did was, and that's the rest of the story, and he would give you and connect some dots maybe for something that you had some knowledge of, but maybe not much. But he always would come back and he would end his lessons with, he'd finish whatever his editorial was and he'd say his name and then, good day. And if you ever heard Paul Harvey, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Paul Harvey, good day. And that was how he would end it. Well, in 1965, This was probably the first Paul Hart where I got introduced to him was one that he wrote called If I Were the Devil. Now, 1965, I'll age myself, it's five years before I'm born. So when I think about what he writes here, it's kind of staggering to me with what he was offering the culture in 1965 when he wrote and recorded this. It's too long for me to read all of it, so I'm going to bounce through it but you're going to get the thread of what he communicates. He writes this, If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince him that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families that were at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects but neglect to dis- disciplining motions. Just let those run wild until before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion. I would deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that the swinging life is more fun, that what you see on TV is actually the way you would want to be, And thus, I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I would just keep on doing what I've been doing." Paul Harvey, good day. Now what's kind of amazing to me about that is I want you to go back in time if you can. If you're young and in school now, you think that's life. For myself, born in 1970. I can't fathom how accurate that has become in our world. Because when I was going to school, none of that was true that I could see. I wasn't aware that those dynamics were going on. The idea of putting uh, drug-sniffing dogs at our school, I would have never imagined it could have been there. And yet, look at where we are these days. We can see it. We can feel it. Because our passage today, and I invite you to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, whether or not you use a physical copy of the Bible, if you don't have one and need one or would like one, we've got some on carts and we'd invite you to grab one as a gift to you. Or you can open up a digital copy through the Church Center app or the YouTube, excuse me, YouTube, the Uversion Bible app, uh, and you could go follow along to that as well. But when we come to this passage today, I guess one of the things that we need to think through is what does it look like for when do we start seeing this slide? because. Evil in our world did not happen like a light switch where all of a sudden we were a good world and then the light switch flipped and we became a bad world embracing evil. It's not been that at all. It's been a slow slide, a slow decaying of our society for what's gone on in the world. You're going to see it here in a second when we read through this. So it's with that that when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we read this, but understand this, Paul writing to Timothy, understand this, Timothy, In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, let's stop for a minute because we need to look at what this last days is. When he uses that phrase, what exactly are we talking about? It's a common theme in Scripture. Peter talks about it. He writes about it in 2 Peter 3. You can go watch this series. We did this series uh, last year, and so feel free to watch this for more explanation on this. But Peter writes this, knowing this first of all, The scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Scoffers are going to scoff. That's what they do. In the last days, following their own sinful desires. Okay, so we still don't really understand what last days are. Peter goes on to say this. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You keep saying that the Lord is going to come. He's going to make everything right. He's going to bring judgment. He's going to defeat evil. The evil will not win, evil will pay. Now, Peter's writing this within a couple of decades after Jesus lived. I mean, so we're in the first century when he writes this. And people already are looking around and they're saying, yeah, 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 you say that God is watching, you say that God is just, you say that God is gonna deal with this? We don't see it. And yet you keep saying that it's true. And here we are 15 to 20 years later, we're not seeing it. Creation just goes on out there in the world. Evil's happening. Nothing happens to it. Nothing gets done. Well, 2,000 years later, you think that we have emphasized that enough? Because the world looks around and says, look, nothing's changing. So what does it mean when we talk about the last days? Well, here's what we're talking about. If you look at this timeline, the last days began with the ascension of Christ and will carry through until the return of Christ. So when we think last days, we're not putting it just in terms of now or the future. We've always known that the Lord will call us home with an imminency, that we know that it's coming at a moment's notice. Nobody knows when that is, but we've been in the last days since Christ ascended. So when he looks back at this passage and we see this, that the Lord says, look, I'm coming, but know this, I'm slow because I want people to come to salvation. Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. some count slowness. See, the world looks around and says, he's not doing anything. Nothing changes. The Lord says, whoa, 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 whoa. Tap the brakes on that. It's not that I'm not doing anything. I'm working for my purposes to bring people to salvation. He's not slow to fulfill his promises. Some might say he's being slow, but he's being patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance. So the longer the last days go, the more people are coming to faith. And that's the Lord's heart, to bring salvation and redemption for what's going on. So what are these last days going to look like? We're gonna come back and talk about all of these, but I want you to notice the tone of what Paul is writing about. He is going to describe 19 different characteristics for what life is going to look like in the world in these last days, again, that started when Paul is writing to Timothy. It was certainly true in 65 when Paul Harvey is writing about it. And I don't think you will have any trouble seeing it if you turned on the news or social media this week at all. You're aware of this. But let's look at how he describes what these days are going to be characterized as. Chapter 3, verse 2. For people denying its power, avoid such people." Quite a list. I could have flashed up headlines from the last week and said, hey, look, here's an example of this, and here's an example of this, and here's an example of this. But something told me, you didn't need to see that. You're well aware of what's going on in the world. By the way, last days, if it really started uh, back then, which I think it did, I think that's why Paul says, hey, Timothy, avoid such people. If this is some point in the future, if we just think about it in the 21st century, he doesn't need to tell Timothy to avoid these people because it was already a deal back then. But he talked about these 19 characteristics of what's going on. And there's this slow decay. It's not a light switch. It's more like that frog in the kettle thing, right? Where if you put a frog in boiling hot water, he jumps out. But if you slowly put a frog in cold water and then you slowly start to heat it, he will acclimate and he won't even see it for what it is. That's how our culture's been. If we've been welcoming stuff into our lives, the temperature's going up and up and up and we may not see it. But look at this list. So he begins to talk about the culture's passions and these are all the words that appear in that list. We become lovers of self. At the end of the day, I'm what matters. I'm the king of my ship. I don't really care about somebody else. I will do what's best for me because I'm what matters. And the moment that happens, I'm gonna become a lover of money because I'll become greedy. So I want to pamper myself, I want to put the stuff around me that I want to have around me. I'm not going to invest, I'm not going to give it away, I'm not going to do any of those things because it's about me. So now I just start padding the stuff that I want to make my life more comfortable. And we're back to the cruise ship analogy that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Out of that, we become incredibly arrogant. Now these two things go together. Pride is the outward manifestation of the inward spirit, which is arrogant. See, my arrogance, I think, you know what, I'm really better than you, and my goal is to outshine you. I'm in competition with every one of you, and so I'm going to manifest itself by telling you how great I am. So it starts here, and then it begins to work its way out into the world. We see this. This isn't a surprise. And once it's about me, and I've got to prove to you how great I am, because I really think that, so now I have to convince you because I am aware of it, you may not be because you think you're the king of your world. So now I've got to convince you. So now I can start being abusive. I can start acting out towards you. I can treat you harshly. I can be critical of you. I can begin to act all that out. There's no virtue in that. And then this next one is incredibly strange, isn't it? We read this list of these 19 characteristics. We're like, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. And they are like, disobedient to parents? Come on here's the thing, is there's a disregard for authority. Parents, you have probably learned this reality. Not disciplining your children isn't doing anybody any favors. Because we grow up in a world where we need discipline, because there will always be an authority in your life, whether or not it begins in the home, and then it goes into the school, and then it goes on to a practice field, and then it goes into an arena. Maybe it goes into a, a further classroom. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it goes into a boss or an employer. Maybe it's the government. But hear this. We are never without an authority in our life. We never graduate out of that, because the believer always is to be submissive and obedient to the Father. So the fact that we're not raising children who recognize authority and can respond appropriately to it is creating a problem all the way down the line. And guess what? Those kids are picking up the same lessons we're manifesting, which is it's about me, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to be prideful and arrogant and so forth. And it begins to take over. Well, once that happens, now I'm ungrateful because I don't care that you're kind to me. You should be kind to me because it's all about me anyway. If I were you, I would be kind to me, right? So now it's taken over our entire way of life, which leads only to an ungodliness which says, I don't care about God's standards because at the end of the day, he might ask me to endure and I don't want to endure. I'm the king of my own ship, so I'm going to do this and I'm going to be just fine. So now I'm heartless because I don't have to love you or anybody else or have any relationships, because who wants to be relate, friends with this person we're describing right now? It's all about them all the time. Who wants to be friends with that person? And yet the person doesn't even notice. They're just like, yeah, 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 of course. You're jealous of me because I've got it going on. And now it just begins to perpetuate itself, and now we become unappeasable. We are untrue to our promises. We don't have to think about things. I don't have to forgive you. Because that means I have to release you from something. You owe me. I'm not going to release you from what you owe me. Why would I forgive you? I've got you over a barrel now. That's right where I want you. And now we can do that. So then it begins to manifest itself in our behaviors. I'm going to slander you. I'm going to malign you because the reality is, is I'm trying to make you look worse because the worse you look, the better I look. Okay? We're without self-control. Anybody want to argue that that's going on in our world? That there's a lack of impulse control? No, we want it. We see it. We want it. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Give it all to me. I want it all. And all of a sudden, we become brutal, untamed, not civilized. We can't even live in community with people anymore because everybody's doing battle with everybody all the time. And the idea that there's a common good, you know, when you look at the research and the data for civic organizations, I don't know how much longer we will have civic organizations because people do not contribute toward the common good very often anymore. No, we're busy, and we're thinking about self, and we're thinking what we want to do with our resources, and so we pull away from investing in the community's good, and so we find ourselves in a position where we say, you know what, we're going to live as we want to live, and it becomes Lord of the Flies, right, and how we approach life, not loving good because that has to think about others. And so, you know what? I'll do what I want to do. Treacherous. The word literally means that you would breach a treaty. Is that your word doesn't matter anymore? Well, I mean, I know I entered into that treaty with you at a time, but at the time it felt right, but it no longer serves my purposes. So let me just back away from that because it's not convenient for me anymore. If I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have entered into it. So you should release me from it. See, now we become incredibly reckless. I don't care if it hurts you. It's not about you anyway. It's about me so I'll hurt you to get what I want. I become swollen with conceit. I feel like I am the king. I'm the one that has all the rights. And if you're keeping count, you're like, well, that's, this isn't 19. No, that's 17. Lovers of pleasure, 18. Not a lover of God, 19. There's 19 things. Now, remember last week where he says, you know what? You need to flee your youthful passions, Timothy. Because at the end of the day, when the message is that we need to endure hardship, we need to remain faithful, is there is enough school of thought in this world that says, you know what? That's too hard. So you need to find a salve for your your soul wherever you can. And if you're enduring hardship or you could receive pleasure and become a lover of pleasure and become hedonistic, go that way. Are we surprised if that's what the world says? No. But look at those 19 characteristics. And we see those things in the world. I tell you... Let's categorize it. I think Dr. Kostenberger offers us something here to help us think through it when he says this. Five of those traits are really about love. They're just misdirected love. Love is there. We want it. We pursue it. We see it. But what it does is we become a lover of self. We love money. We don't love good. We love pleasure. We don't love God. And the first and the last of those envelop the entire list. That list exists because we love self and we don't love God. So there's that part of the list but then we can look up and say, well, eight of the traits are about lacking virtue. We just lack virtue as a people these days. Why? Well, we're boastful, we're disobedient to our parents, we're ungrateful, we're unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, without self-control, without love for what is good. What a great track record of what's going on in the world, right? And then he goes on and says, well, and some of them are expressions that relate to our attitude, how we manifest our inner disposition in our speech or in our actions. But don't miss this, because this is the reality. All of them, all 19 of them, in one way or another, depict a person's godless self-centeredness. That's a problem. That's the world we live in. Is it new? That's not new. Paul's already told Timothy, avoid the people that manifest these characteristics. We saw it in 1965 with Paul Harvey. You've seen it since. But it's not a light switch that all of a sudden one day this happened. No, it's been a gradual thing, and he's going to explain that. But what we see is we continue to slide into this moral decay around us. So what what happens in that? Well, let's look back down at our passage. When we see in verse 5, they have the appearance of godliness. They look like they have the part. They look the part. It's not real. They're frauds. They're hypocrites. But it looks the part, but then it tells us that they are denying the power of the godliness because it's not empowered by the Lord. This is all of them. This is pulling themselves up by their bootstraps to make themselves look good. This isn't of the Lord. So, it lacks power. It lacks vitality. But that is the reality of what they're facing. What's the impact of that? Well, look at verse 6. For among them... Are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth? Now, it's interesting because as he pulls this out, know this Paul has a very high view of women. He speaks highly about women. He commends many women. In this place, he's telling us what the problem is. The problem isn't that they're weak, excuse me, isn't that they're women. The problem is that they're weak. Why are they weak? Well, he tells us why they're weak you catch that? They've been burdened by sins and they've been led astray by their various passions. That's why they're weak. They're not weak because they're women. They're weak because they're in sin that's not been addressed. There's some habitual sin in their life that has created this environment. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the fact that in God's household, there's honorable vessels... And then there's dishonorable vessels. The honorable vessels get used by the Lord for his purposes. The dishonorable vessels have disqualified themselves because they've not made themselves available for the Lord to use them because there's ongoing sin in their life. And the question for you and me was, well, how do I live when I want to be honorable, but I keep finding myself in the dishonorable because I get sin on me, I get whatever I'm dealing with. Well, he told us what to do, and that was to cleanse. And we looked at this passage last week, 1 John nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the picture. You and I walking with the Lord in humility and honoring the Lord, and we find ourselves saying, Lord, use me for your purposes. And the Lord said, you're ready to be used by me for my purposes, and so let me send you out as my emissary or messenger into this world. The problem is we walk through this world and those 19 traits we just read about get splattered up on us like a mud puddle, right? So we find ourselves in a thing where we say, Lord, use me for your purposes. I'm walking with you. I'm dependent upon you. And he says, great. And then we go drive down the road. We have some encounter somewhere with somebody. And all of a sudden, some car the world drives by and hits that mud puddle and it splatters all over us and now we start looking like those 19 traits, and now we're in the dishonorable part, or this dishonorable vessel. What happens to us in it? Well, last week, the message was, we cannot be used of the Lord. We all of a sudden have disqualified ourselves until we get cleansed. How do we get cleansed? First John 1, 9. Lord, I believe and I see what you see. I look like these 19 characteristics. That doesn't honor you. I confess that I did that. I agree with you that that's wrong. Lord, please forgive me and restore me. He's faithful and just, like the verse says, and all of a sudden we get cleansed and we're back over here and we're honorable for his use again. Now, look at what's going on with these these women in this situation is they had been in an honorable place, presumably, and then they found themselves burdened by sin, led astray by their various passions, and now they're in the unworthy vessel. And here's the second problem with being over here. The first problem is the Lord, you're not available for the Lord to use you for his purposes, that was lesson one, that was last week. Here's today's problem, you become a victim because somebody will come after you to try to lead you astray in untruths. It's the same thing we talked about last week with Hymenaeus and Philetus, as they began to confuse people. These women in this situation, because of their sin, not because of their gender, because of their sin, found themselves here, and all of a sudden in that, they became prey for a predator who comes to their door peddling garbage, and they buy into it. They get led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. There's nothing to anchor to. They just take in all the information, Remember when Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free? These women started living in the habitualness of their sin, and then they found themselves captive, captivated by these peddlers of garbage that started eroding away the truth. And they just started taking it all in because they couldn't see it for what it was. And it probably sounded pretty good. Like endure freedom, excuse me, endure hardship. Why would you do that? Go enjoy all of those things that are about your pleasure. And they're like, you know, that sounds better than enduring hardship. Boom. And off they go into captivity in that. And it's not the only example. There's another example that we see here where he says, just as Jonas and Jambras opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Now, who's Jonas and Jambras? Now, Jewish tradition tells us that it's the names of what we see in Exodus 7. So Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and he did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. So Pharaoh summons his wise men and his sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same thing by their secret acts. Now, we know that the enemy has some powers. And so what happens is we've got two magicians that are doing battle with Moses and Aaron. And at first it looks the part, right? I mean, they got the same power. They can match God stroke for stroke because a false prophet, a false teacher has to at least start on the right road with you for you to buy into it. But then two chapters later, we see the results. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So, you already have a history where you've watched what happened, where you had people that looked the part, but they didn't have the real power of God. They had the appearance of godliness, but they didn't have the power. Just like the magicians, the false teachers are like the magicians. Timothy, you're like Moses. I've got you. I've got a purpose for you. In the same way the magicians left truth behind and disqualified themselves, these false teachers are going to do the same thing. How do we know? Here is the good news, verse 9, but they will not, excuse me, yeah, verse 9, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as with that of those two men. Here's the thing, the test of time. The test of time will always expose the fraud, always expose the fraud. The magicians looked apart for a little bit, but they couldn't sustain it. And the same thing is true in our world today. Know this, evil doesn't ultimately win. We can look around now on a shorter time frame and say, well, it looks like evil's winning. God says, no. In time, it bears itself out. We can see the reality of what's going on around us. Now, here's the thing that we have to think through. As we go through this world and we're an honorable vessel walking with the Lord, dependence upon him, empowered by him, and we have the, you know, whatever, the, the cars of life driving past us and splashing the muddy water of those 19 traits above, upon us. It's impossible for that not to be real. We will be impacted by it. Here's the hard question that each of us has to answer. And you've got this list in your bulletin. I would ask you to consider before the Lord, where do you see the the splatters of the world's mud on you? Because when it gets on us, the reality is we move into this dishonorable vessel because we start looking like these 19 characteristics. Here's the really great news. The promise for cleansing, to be cleansed of that is still the same, is that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess it. Lord, you know what? This week I was really pretty brutal. I really lacked self-control. I was really heartless. Father, I was disobedient to my, my parents. I lacked respect for the authorities you put in my life. I really was a lover of self this week. Just say it. Call it what it is, Lord, I disrespected you, I've dishonored you this week in the way that I live because in the end I was a lover of self and not a lover of God, of you. So let's just say it, because in that moment, Lord, I acknowledge that, will you forgive me? He says, of course I'll forgive you. I told you I'd forgive you, I'm faithful, I'm just, and all of a sudden we're back over here for God's purposes again. That's part of what he's telling us. And so he says, you know what, here's what's gonna end up happening. You're looking around and you're saying evil's gonna win. He says, it doesn't always win, but if we don't get reset to come over here to be cleansed, two things are going to happen. One is we disqualify ourselves for being used by God, by God for his purposes. The second is be ready. The enemy's going to come at you with everything he's got to lead you astray. Time will tell, though. Does it always tell? Yeah, it's going to tell. So what does it look like? Verse 10. You, Timothy, however... I'm telling you, these false teachers, they can't stand the test of time. They will fall apart in time. But Timothy, you've seen a better way. You've seen a lifestyle. You've seen a transformation. Look at the transformation. You have followed. And look, Paul is unashamedly saying, look what I'm doing. Watch me. Watch my example. Look at all these mys. My teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith. My patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, as Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's like, you know, you watched me. You know what happened at, um, in those cities when I was there? And you probably do too, but just in case you forget, let me show you the passage. Acts 14. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, what a moment. He goes into a city to preach. There's a group of Jewish people that get really upset with him, and so they get the crowd all riled up. They pick up stones and they start throwing stones at, at Paul to kill him. And they thought they killed him. Stoned him, he's dragged out of the city, supposing that he's dead. Unconscious, breathing, not breathing, whatever, they drag him out of the city. They leave him out there. And then I love this verse. But when the disciples gathered around him, imagine that. All the other disciples are there, and they're like, there's Paul, unconscious, breathing, not breathing, breathing sporadically. All the disciples are looking around him and like, all right, so what do we do now? I mean, we're done. This is hard. We're enduring hardship. This is tough. And then Paul rises up, and I think he's like, man, let me dust myself off. Man, that hurts. I got a bit of a headache. But you know what? There's another city that needs the gospel. So I'm not done. i am still got breath in my lungs, I'm going. So he gets up and he enters the city and the next day he goes on with Barnabas to Derby. He's like, you know what, he's already told us. You can lock me up, but there's people in prison that need the gospel, so that's fine. You can lock me up, but you can't lock up the gospel, so that's fine. I can come here, you can stone me, drag me out and think I'm dead, but you know what? I regain consciousness. So do I go pursue hedonism? Absolutely not. I remain faithful. I get up and I go back into the next town. Okay, Lord, what's next? Because he has sold out to this idea that he has been transformed. How has he been transformed? Well, over and over, we see what he's saying here because he uses all of those mys, right? My this, my that, like my teaching. You know what? I'm not given to teaching new philosophies or psychology or science. Paul would tell Timothy, hey, look, everything I'm teaching is from this book. This is the authority. This is what we look at. So we come to this book. That's what I'm teaching. Everything I'm teaching, measure against this. You, our church family, should do the same thing. Don't take our word for it. Open up your copy of Scripture. That's why we invite you to do that every Sunday. Look at the Scriptures. It's what we're saying, measuring up with what you see. Paul says, look, that's my teaching. I've got the Scriptures behind me. How does it relate to his conduct? My conduct, he says to live as Christ. You know what, stone me, don't stone me, put me in prison, don't put me in prison, it doesn't matter. I'm living for another. This isn't the fact that God is my co-pilot. God doesn't need a co-pilot. God's the pilot. We get invited to ride behind him and let him lead us. That's what he's doing. To live as Christ, that's what, it's, what matters to me. What's his aim? To present everyone complete in Christ. His life had been so transformed, he said, Everybody needs to see this. Let me tell you, this is our church's aim. If you're here this morning or you're watching us and you don't know Christ, our whole goal is that you would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would understand that the God of heaven, the sovereign, loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And this thing called sin that has divided us from each other, but it's divided us from Him. And God says, penalty of sin is death, so Jesus comes to earth and he lives a sinless life so he can pay the penalty for sin, and he did that on the cross. Then he conquers death and he offers you and me life. He said, you know what, that's where it starts. And Paul says, my aim is to present everyone complete in Christ. He writes that in Colossians. That's our aim for you as well, that we would grow in that. What's his faith? Dependence on the Lord and on his word. Lord, You have told me what you have for me. I can really forget the past. I can move forward. I can press forward for the upward call you have on my life. I can trust you. You have set me free from my sins. I've been freed up from the penalty of sin. I've been freed up from the power of sin. And one day, I'll be freed up from the presence of sin. I'm banking my whole life on you and your word and what you've told me. How about people? People let him down. Absolutely, people let him down. And so, he's patience. You've seen my patience. I've got a long fuse with people. I don't write people off. No, the Lord may have a purpose for me with them. I may need to step away. There may be boundary issues that we need to deal with, but I've got a long fuse with people. How about love? If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you may have heard 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy. 1 Corinthians 13, love is selfless and sacrificial. We see that on the cross. We see it in Paul and the way he loves people. You've seen that in me, Timothy. I don't write people off. I'm not harsh with people. I continue to love people. Matter of fact, I'm steadfast in the way I go about caring about people, which means I endure hardship and I remain faithful. Those were our messages the last two Sundays. I'm sticking with it. Persecution? Oh, I face persecution. That's from what I, what you do to me, the harsh reactions he faced. But then he says, "You know what? And I've suffered as a result of the way you persecuted me. I've suffered." You've seen it all. You've seen a transformed life, Timothy. There's no way I would have necessarily chosen the reality of what I'm dealing with, but this is what I'm dealing with, and it hurts, and it's hard. It's interesting. When he looks around and he says, here's the deal, Timothy, these people, these false teachers, they come and go. Look at my life. You've seen a transformed life in me because I've been changed. And Timothy, that's what it's going to look like for us if we move into this. He's given us an entire map, and he talks about this relational evangelism. Get involved in people's lives. There's a time uh, for street preaching, probably. I think God uses that. But I think time and again, the invitation into a person's life to love them and care for them and walk alongside them. That's what Paul says he's doing. Look at all those traits. That's what I've done. And he's inviting Timothy to do much the same. But when we get down to the end, look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yeah, we're gonna go from bad to worse. Here we are 2,000 years later. We don't, we, you know, truth whew, back here, bad, worse, bad, worse, and we keep deviating away. That's the reality. But if we wanna live a godly life, recognize this, he makes it really clear, it's gonna be really hard. You're gonna be persecuted. Why? Well, Jesus tells us when he writes this, John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were the world, the world would love you as its own. If you look like those 19 traits, the world probably doesn't have much problem with you. They might be a little upset that you don't recognize how great they are, but they understand your mindset. They're not gonna hate you for that. They hated Christ. And therefore, when you manifest Christ, they still hate Christ. It's just that he's coming through you, okay? So, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I think Jesus is like, hey, you know what? It's not not really you, it's me. They've always hated me. They've always hated me. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. I need to hear that. Maybe you need to hear that too. And when we come back around, the idea is why would you sign up for this? Why would we sign up for this? I think this is a deep reality, is the pathway for the disciple is that you know him, and you get to know him, and you get to see him, and you understand him, and in that moment you see how much he loves you, you see how gracious he is, you see what he brings to you in his care for you, and then you grow to love him. And when you grow to love him, then you're going to want to serve him. And that's the pathway for the disciple. You won't serve him if you don't know him. You wouldn't serve him if you didn't love him, but you can't love him until you know him. So there's this pathway that's there for us that we've got to lean into this and say, "What do we have? We have a Savior who knows you, loves you, will sustain you, and empower you." So when we come back around. I'd ask you to consider those 19 characteristics of this world. The world's hard, and you and I could say, "I don't, I don't know that I have what it takes." Let me encourage you. You don't. But here's the really good news little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. You have all you need. It's going to be hard. Oh, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to endure. You know what? If you're going to be empowered, you're going to have to be this honorable vessel because the dishonorable vessel, not only are you waiting to be a victim because somebody's going to peddle their garbage on you, but you've disqualified yourself from being empowered by the Lord because you're living in habitual sin. So we cleanse ourselves, Lord, forgive me, I acknowledge it. We come over here, now we're empowered, we walk with the Spirit, and he who is in you is greater than he who's in this world. You lack the capacity on your own, but you have God with you and in you, and he says, I've got you, and you can trust that. Here's the other thing you have. When we come to this, the idea of those 19 traits, they begin to uh, withdraw and isolate, not the church because the reality is let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some. This is a time for us to come together. There's an encouragement in that, there's a strengthening in that, because while the world would say, you know what, forget that whole idea of enduring hardship, go seek pleasure. No, see, there's a group of people called the church that when we come together, we encourage one another, say, isn't he good? Where's God in this? He leaned into him, he's a good God, we trust him. He's never once failed us. I'm all in on this God. We keep getting together. We don't, as the days draw near, as the last days get further in the last days, this isn't a time to back up and retreat. It's time for us to come together and encourage one another, as is the habit of some, encouraging one another. All the more, it seems like these last days are getting longer and longer and longer. So we lean into that. The YouVersion app, which is the Bible app that some of you may be using published this statistic at the end of the year, the Bible verse that was the most resonated in Ukraine in 2022, and they define that as it was the most shared, bookmarked, or highlighted, okay, was Isaiah 41.10. I'm sure all of you are finding tremendous encouragement in Isaiah 41.10, but just in case you don't know what Isaiah 41.10 says, here's what it says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. They live in a war zone. Here's the thing, they live in a physical war zone that we haven't, we're not experiencing here right now. But they also live in a spiritual war zone, which is a reality everybody faces, we, we face it too. So when we come back and they add this note, not only was that most common in Ukraine, it was also true for users in Argentina, Ecuador, France, Germany, Guatemala, Italy, the Maldives, Mexi- Mexico, the Netherlands, Panama, Peru, Singapore, South Korea, Spain, and the United States. How are we going to make it through this? Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And he says, hey, fear not, church. Fear not. I'm with you. I've never abandoned you. I will not abandon you. I cannot abandon you. You're my bride. I've got you. Don't be dismayed. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Keep keep doing good, keep being an honorable vessel that I can use for my purposes in this world because the longer I wait, the more people are coming to faith. So stand firm, people that you know. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a friend, a teammate, a coworker, a teacher, it doesn't matter. There's somebody in your world that doesn't know the Lord. And and what we could say is he's moving really slow is him saying, no, 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 no. I'm being really patient because I'm bringing people to the faith So endure, endure. Those souls are worth it. Don't grow, don't be dismayed. No, 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 I'm at work. I'm the one that's gonna strengthen you. I'm all in on this. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. Lord, it feels like you've forgotten me. Oh, no, 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 I didn't forget you. You're in my right hand, I've got you. I'm your strength, I'm your help. Look to me, I've got you. It's hard, I know it's hard. They hated me before they hated you. I know exactly what this is like, but I've got you. Let's go. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast Published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.